One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that recorded so many episodes before COVID-19 changed everything that we're still releasing new ones that were born in a pre-pandemic world. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Billy Kemp, a Baltimore native and Tennessee resident. Billy's a musician, songwriter, singer, composer, and producer. He's a multi-instrumentalist, but is best known for his guitar playing. Billy got his start by forming the Paradise Pickers, a hybrid of country and rock, which released one record in 1980. During the 80s, he followed his heart and went to Nashville, and while based there, toured internationally with Tommy Overstreet, Terry Gibbs, and Bandana. He once performed on the Grand Ole Opry with Gene Pruitt. Billy returned to Maryland in 1988 and released one album with the reformed Paradise Rockers before landing a spot as lead guitarist for renegade rock and roller Tommy Conwell and the Young Rumblers. He also composed and recorded music for Maryland Public Television and produced records for regional artists in the Baltimore, D.C. area. He recorded and released two CDs on his own label, Willie Billy Records, and in 2000 formed a new roots rock ensemble, Willie Billy. He also established a successful recording facility in rural Maryland. From 2006 to 2016, he wrote, recorded, and performed with the critically acclaimed Appalachian folk duo Jenny and Billy, and he released a new solo CD, Another Life, in August of 2017. Then in 2018, Billy released The Painter's Bucket, a collection of previously released and unreleased songs from 1983 to 2018. He was in town to perform at the Americana Community Music Association in Fort Myers, so we dragged him into the studio with his guitar, and here goes. Hey there, Willie Billy. How you doing? Uh, wow. Did hey, Mike. It, did I get it right? Mikey. No, it's not Mike. I do this only because I have a high school nickname that still persists to this day amongst my closest friends. To them, I will always be Meathead. So I figure you and you know Willie Billy go. and Meathead can do this together. Meathead. <laughs> um, what was the musical background of your childhood? Of my childhood? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Well, <clears throat> there was a lot of music. Because I grew up in a row house in Baltimore. Okay. And a row house is a brick house, you know, and the, all the houses are stuck together. Uh-huh. Some people call them terrace houses or, you know. And um, the, the house was not much wider than this studio right here. Wow. It was about 12 feet wide. Wow. And there were seven people in the house. My brother and me and my sister, my mother and father, and then my grand, a set of grandparents. And each floor had its own music. Wow. My brother and I were in the basement with, you know, rock and roll, basically. The first floor was my grandparents and parents with uh, um, popular music from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I'd say. Okay. And then up on the second floor, my sister was with, you know, Motown and soul and, you know, that kind of music. Hmm. So there's all this music in the house. As well as a piano in the house, in the basement, that my mother played. Because my mother played piano, and her mother, who was from Germany, my grandmother on my mother's side, she was a piano teacher. But I didn't really know her because she died when I was three. But my mother played, and 
and she would sit at the piano and, and, and read music and play, you know, Bach minuets and things. While you weren't listening to rock and roll. Well, that that's was right. The they they right? weren't going on at the same time, right. <laughs> did you, uh, well, did you, when did you start playing music? Did, was the piano then maybe what you first started playing on? Yes, with, and with my mom, because she would be sitting at the piano, and, you know, of course, I'm, you know, five years old, and I'm curious, you know, and the piano bench was, was wide enough to, uh, for me to sit next to her, and she would be reading music, playing, and, and she would just let me play along. Okay. And she kind of pick out notes that fit in somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um I mean I did that for really I remember a couple of years where and she never insisted that I learn how to read music or she just let me be free with the piano and her. And so I I I am so grateful for that because I was I was I was really leaning on my ear mm-hmm. more than anything else, and and you know just playing along with her. Understood. I wish I had recordings of of, wow. of, the, of that, but I don't. But yeah, that's where. It, so that's what the piano was definitely the first uh, musical instrument that I was you know playing on. Did you ever receive then later any formal training on the piano, or was that the, it was your piano experience all just by feel? Right. Later on in, in my career, I, I, I actually went to music school and, and got a music oh, degree. Okay. And you have to become what they call piano proficient. Uh-huh. And it was the hardest class That's I That's like a baseline of a music degree then. Yes. Right. Yep. Hmm. It, and that was the hardest class I took. And it was only one credit per semester. And you had to take it every semester. Hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the first music you owned? As yes. A kid. What was it? The, my first album that I bought was Meet the Beatles. Oh yeah. The first yeah, the first American release Beatles record. And uh you knew you had to have it or what was sort of the what was that scene like at the time in in terms of you getting it? Right. Okay. Uh let's see. I would have been 9. Um that's 1964. And um well, they were on the Ed Sullivan show. You've probably heard this I, story. I've, I've I've heard the story. We've had one person in the show that was there and watched it on TV. Did you get to watch it on TV? I watched it on TV. So you're the second person we've had that the photons hit their eyes. Yeah. It started there and it ended there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, we were all in the basement, you know, and like like you would imagine, and the family on a Sunday watching Ed Sullivan. But the Beatles were on, and I was like, wow, I like these guys. I'm nine. And that, uh, let's see, I can't remember when the record came out in the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it was out before the Ed Sullivan appearance, but it might have been. Right. I don't know. Um, but um, I can't remember the chronology of when this happened. But in in October of '64, they came to Baltimore, the Beatles. My dad was um, in business, and his boss, they had tickets, two tickets to see the – they would have them for clients and things. And, and, and they, they had two tickets to this Beatles concert at the Baltimore Civic Center. The boss's daughter was going to go, and she didn't have anyone to go with. And my father's boss asked him, do you, do you know anybody that would want to go with – You know, um, I can't remember her name right now, but – uh, as let's just say it's Angela. But do you know anybody that wants to go with Angela to see the Beatles? And my dad said, oh, yes, my, my son would love to go. And so I'm nine. This was my – so my first date 
<laughs> and it was with an older woman. And she first, was 14. First concert, too? And first concert oh, wow. was seeing the Beatles at the Baltimore Civic Center. Wow. And um, I can't remember if I bought the record before that concert, you know, in between mm-hmm. the, the Ed Sullivan show and the concert or if it was after the concert. But anyway, there was a record store in Baltimore, in West Baltimore, called EJ Corvettes. And um, they had uh, records. And I, I think they were like, they were back in, the, I, I think the price I'm remembering, I think is probably like, it might have been $3 or just less maybe, you know, for an album. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I bought it mm-hmm. from EJ. I remember the store where I got it. <clears throat> I remember picking it out. My mom was probably with me, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's the first record. Were your folks cool with the Beatles? Was there any like? Yeah, they they were. Yeah, my I think both my parents were uh, open minded when it came to music. They liked everything. um, My dad was a singer, um, and I'll talk about that uh, uh, in in um, connecting to one of the the three songs later. Okay, Um, but yeah, they were they 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 were um, they listened. I mean, I you know, like I said, the the first floor they listened to you know popular music from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, but they they liked all kinds of music. I have one quick story if you want to hear it. Sure. We got all the time in the world. My dad and mom went to Atlantic City, uh, and I think this would have been in the, like about 1950, it might have been, I'm, I'm born in 1954. It was, it was probably right around when I was born or just after. And um, uh, they had gone there to see Frank Sinatra. And he, there, there used to be this bandstand uh, at uh, in Atlantic City that that would have concerts, and um, I think it was out on a pier or something. And and uh, that, but there were as you would go out to the main event, there were a couple of side stages, you know, that would have music on the way out, mm-hmm. you know. And they're going to see Frank Sinatra, and they they love Sinatra, and. There was this music, and my dad said to my mom, he's told me this story. Actually, I've recorded my dad telling this story because I think it's really a like neat an story. Like an oral history kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He said, he said um, Marsha, listen to that. What is that? And my dad was like really captivated by the sound, and he went over to this side stage, and they just stood there mesmerized by a guitarist from St. Louis named Chuck Berry. Huh. And like, my dad said, "I, Marsha, I, I, I think, I think I like this even more than Sinatra. This is amazing music." So, wow. and he was a huge Sinatra disciple or whatever. And um, I love that story. Yeah, you know, because I mean, that's what happened with music. That's like, right? yeah, that's like the pivot. Kind yeah, of. huh? The rock and roll kind of, you know. Took over, or, or you know, swept people off their feet, or made a sound that made them that they couldn't not listen to. I guess, it, yeah, you know, yeah. And so, you know, that was. Um, well, I can't remember your original question now about how I got to that one, but um, well, we started with your first album, and we wound up talking about Frank Sinatra, and, and <laughs> <laughs> which is what we do on this show, <laughs> right? It's all working. Um, <laughs> Good. When did the guitar come along then? Well, um, let's see. I. I uh, I had a paper route, the Baltimore Sun, and um, I think it would have been – I was probably 13 
um, so it would have been four years after the Beatles, you know, uh, struck me. Um, and um, again, the EJ Corvette store, which was a Northeast chain, you know, uh, it was a department store. They sold all kinds of Understood. stuff. Understood. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I had my own money. Yeah, not a lot, but you know, I had yeah, enough yeah. To, to buy a, a you had discretionary probably... income. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I had a, I I can't remember what I even paid for the guitar. It might have been thirty dollars, or you know, it was a Tesco Del Rey, which actually a lot of people kind of like those guitars now. They're oh, retro, wow. One you of those. know. Yeah, yeah. And it had you know a lot of pickups. It was an electric guitar, mm-hmm. and um, so that was my first guitar, and um. I you know I didn't I do remember doing this I I I was a bit shy about it meaning I I didn't play for anybody for like just locked well, yourself in the room and played yeah. yeah for like a year yeah you know I yeah and um but then after that it was like can you tell him to go away please you know because right. <laughs> I wanted to play for everybody yeah after once I, you got over it yeah huh. <laughs> Um, well, let's get on to your song story. We'll talk more about your, your guitar work and whatnot uh, later on. What's your first song? Why is your first song? Do you want to tell the story? What do you want to do? Okay. Um, I, I can set it up a little bit. Okay. Um, because I think this is this will definitely be a recording probably most of your listeners have never heard. Mm-hmm. Because it's a recording of my dad. And he had... Uh, uh, he had a band, and they were called um, Bill Kemp and the New Tones, and uh, they were semi-professional. They they played every week, you know, and um, they played in, in in a lot of clubs in Bal- They used to call them clubs back mm-hmm. then, nightclubs, and uh, they played in nightclubs in Baltimore. And then they did other occasional things. Sometimes they would you know do weddings or whatever, um, and but the. The, the the musicians in it were fantastic. My dad was the singer, hmm. and um, the piano player. His name was John Yeager, and his family had a music store in Baltimore, in the city. Uh, that was, you know, a, one of the. There, I don't. I only remember two music stores in the city, and that was one of them. And and uh, they sold everything. And um, John was a fantastic pianist, and then the the. Uh, the drummer Bill Kowalski worked for WJZ TV in Baltimore as a cameraman, hmm. and then I, the bass player—I can't remember what he did—but he was, you know, so he had a piano, bass, and drums, and my dad sang. And a fan had gone to one of their shows in 1967 or 68 at a place called the Howard Place and recorded them. And years later, I. This fan, I got the cassette of this, and I remastered it to try to make it sound a little cleaner, and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And so um, this is a recording of a, a song that Dean Martin made popular named um, Everybody Loves Somebody Sometimes. And there's a story about that, um, real quick side story. Um, Jimmy Bowen. Yeah, was the producer of this record for Dean Martin. It was in Los Angeles. Jimmy Bowen eventually came to Nashville to be a producer. Mm-hmm. But um, um, they had done, you know, they had almost finished the record and they needed one more track and they weren't sure what to do. And and 
and and the piano player for Dean Martin said, "Hey, I've I've got this thing, you know, it's been around a while, I, you know." And, and and he played it, and and Dean, I, I the, the one story I've read was that Dean wasn't crazy about it at first, the song, and but Jimmy Bowen said, "You, you got to record this," and they did, and it became one of his signature songs, you know. Hmm. So, um, but this recording is from a nightclub in Baltimore with my dad's um, uh, band. And the the story with that goes is that they would rehearse sometimes at uh, our house in the basement at the row house. Everybody and I was like sitting on the sofa just glued to these musicians watching them. Yeah. My dad said I would sit there and just stare, you know. Yeah. And I was fascinated with it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so shall we listen to it? Yeah. It's like a little time travel here. Okay. So this was recorded live uh, in Baltimore at the Howard Place. Uh, it's it. Everybody Loves Somebody by Billy Kemp and the New Times. When did you get a hold of that tape? <laughs> um, I've got a hold of that in the i think it was like in the in the 90s like wow. early 90s so it would have been 20 20 or more years after it had been recorded was your father still alive yeah my dad so is he still got, alive so, oh, he's he 90 is? he's going to be 91 so he's going to hear this he yes uh, hello uh, yeah bill, bill camp yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that, that's like like i said it's like time travel you know what i mean like to have a moment like that come back from the past it's like it's amazing it is amazing i i can close my eyes and and actually picture myself in that basement seeing these musicians playing and and and, I, and also i can picture them at at the clubs cuz my dad would take me and my brother sometimes to the venues where he was playing and we would just you know hang out and they were fine with that <laughs> do you know how that was recorded was that just somebody stuck a mic in front of the band i mean it sounds pretty good i it does it, i think it, it well it was on a cassette so they had a cassette player. Hmm. So it wasn't like there was no like soundboard it was coming through oh, no. or something like that. No. Hmm. No. Um and when was the last time you'd listened to that? Um it'd been a while. <laughs> I actually when I found it, I there there are about twenty five songs on this cassette. Oh. And um I one year for my dad's birthday i think it was I, I i put together a little cd for him and i had a picture of him when he was 10 on a pony in the neighborhood in south baltimore that kids took pictures of yeah, ponies yeah, yeah. you know and um and and made a cd for him and that's he, awesome yeah huh. um uh where does music fit into your life in in terms of your music consumption and not your music production okay Meaning now, are you asking me how do I consume? How do how I do listen? How do you consume today? To, and to what do you consume? You know, are you are you all streaming now? Like some people, do you still have three thousand records at home? Some combination therein. Right. Well, um, I have some vinyl, and I have cassettes, and I have. Um, uh, digital audio tapes, mm -hmm. that tapes. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. I have... Um, Any mini discs? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> but, and yeah, and then I have, you know, of course, CDs. And um, when I, when, when someone gives me a CD that they want me to listen to, when I have the time, 
I still like to listen to records or, or, or you know, music where I listen to the whole thing. Yeah, that like, was going to be one of my later questions because okay. a lot of people don't do that anymore. Yeah, you got to have time to do it. And um, I'll a lot. Sometimes I'll sit with headphones. Just, that's part of my consumption. Sometimes, sometimes I'll sit and listen to headphones to the record and just sit on my uh, Aunt Lil's love seat in my house and 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 listen to the record that way. Um, and um, sometimes, I mean, we I I drive a lot. We drive a lot. We put a lot of miles, and so we listen in the car too. Yeah, it's not I. I don't like listening into the in the car as much as as in a more controlled environment, you know. But um, and um, I don't have a a, a a turntable right now. But when we get back from this tour, I'm I'm I, and I don't have a cassette right now. But I'm I'm going to get a cassette player so I can start listening to those cassettes again, you know. Do you listen to any modern music? Yes, I listened on I'm I listened I I on Spotify. Sometimes, hmm. yeah, or or I listen to there's like let me see what's that there's a um there's a, 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 an online magazine called the Alternate Route, and they're out of California, but um I I I like some of the reviews they've done for records, and I and, you know I'll I'll listen to um records that they have uh, hmm. suggested that are new. Um, I listened to NPR, um, first listen. They have Yeah, something. their podcast in the morning. Yeah. And you can listen to a, a whole album, you know, if you want. Um, you know, and so actually that's probably the, 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 the place I go to for new music to listen to it, okay. um, more than anything, I think. Do you do podcasts besides the morning one from y- NPR? Yes. Like yeah. what? What are you? Which uh, podcast? Yeah, what are you music? listening to, or what have you um, listened to? I've listened to. Let me see if I can remember it. Uh, there's this one um, where they. Um, uh, oh God, what is it called? Um, it's. I've I've listened to T Bone Burnett interviewed on there. Um, um, who's the guy that started the American music label that produced uh, that recorded Johnny Cash? Producer, huh. um, you I, got me. Yeah, <laughs> Rick Rubin. Okay, I yeah. know that name. <laughs> yep, yep. That is a podcast that that does music, but they interview people too. Okay. Um, and um, God, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of that podcast right now. That's okay. Um, okay, we're gonna jump back in time now. So you went to music school. Like, yes. Was that so? Real quick. So, like, did you? All of a sudden, get into music and like you were in band in high school and all that stuff. Or how did you know? What's your arc from got a guitar when I was thirteen and now I'm studying music? Right. Um, uh, It will. Some of that will come in the. um, I can talk about the story about the last song that we played today. Some of it. Some of I can answer some of that question. Okay. In that song, if if you want, or yeah, that you, piece of music. Yeah, we can wait if you that, want. That could be the music school part, actually. Okay. Because there's a story. I mean, I could tell it now, but uh, I was going to speak about that with that last piece. But no, no, I can, I can we talk can... up to the point where I go to music school, though. Okay. Right now. Okay, it, do that. Because uh, so I pick the guitar up and I'm playing. I'm learning songs, and um, by high school, Beatles songs. Yeah. Okay. Beatles. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, what I assumed. Yeah, yeah. I took uh, I took a couple of lessons at a, a music s- a store in in West Baltimore called Bill's Music House, and um, 
the first song that I actually learned was Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry. Wow. Yeah. And I think that came out in 60, 67 or 68. The, the co-creator of our theme song is a guy named Stick Martin up in St. Pete that has a music studio called Monkey House Studio. And his second song story was that about that song. Ode to Billy Joe. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, it's a great song. Yeah. And um, – so, I mean, I, I, that's my memory. I think I was making stuff up before learning that. When I say that, that's the first song I learned from, you know, someone else other Somebody than myself. You, right. Somebody taught me, yeah. And because by then I was 13 or I was 14 probably. It was, so it might have been 68. And um, uh, so I learned I, – well, sometimes in my shows I, I speak about this. So the first song I learned was Ode to Billy Joe. And, you know, my guitar teacher made it very simple for me, and, I, and he kept the whole song on one chord. Okay. Which was the E chord, uh-huh. which was it's a pretty easy chord to play. As uh, chords on go, the, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, and which I thought was smart, you yeah, know. For yeah, the, yeah. And I, so here I am, I'm playing Ode to Billy Joe, and, and, and I'm playing a chord. And then, you know, <clears throat> uh, I learned a second chord, and um, then I could play a couple of Buddy Holly songs mm-hmm. or something, you know. And then finally, I learned the third chord, uh, and then I can play blues and country and uh-huh. rock and roll. You know the story. Yeah. Um, Harlan Howard, of you know, the writer of country music songs, said that that's what country music is, three chords and the truth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I played those three chords for years, and I'm grateful for um, in my uh, um, community where I grew up, um, there was a guy named Carl Williams who was a drummer, and he worked at the Amico station. And during the and and he was older than me, but um and and Carl would have jam sessions in the bays. Oh wow! At night, what a the, great image that is. I know. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Put the cars up on the lift and and let's play some music. And that and that's I and it was so it was blues because that's a really easy form for you know people to play and they don't even know, have to know each other. They don't even have to know the song. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, th- those um, those moments, I think, were really beneficial to me to play with other musicians and then to just make music like that. That takes the word, the term garage band and gives it a whole new <gasps> twist. <laughs> oh, right. Hey, I, didn't, I never thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really good. Cool. Did you ever have a band that had a name? Um, yeah, well, the first band, uh, I, I can remember the guys' names, uh, uh, David Mahaffey and and Ricky France. Um, we had a trio, and I don't think we, I don't know if we ever played a show. Right. One of those bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basement band. Yeah. And I think we called the band Revolution, because Revolution was in the air back then. Uh-huh. And this was before Prince's Revolution. He had a band called Revolution, yeah, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, but... So yeah, that was the first band, and that was a trio. Um, and then um, there was another band called Crossfire, and actually, one of the members of that band lives here near Fort Myers. Really? Yes. And he wrote to me. He's going to come to this show I'm playing tonight. And, okay. But um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, and that band was uh, they did you know rock and rock and roll kind of stuff. Uh, and some blues, hmm. um, and that was a quartet. And I think the name of the band came from the Rolling Stones song "I Was Born in a Crossfire Hurricane." Wow! Yeah, 
Hmm. So um, those were a couple early band names that I remember. Do you want to stop there? Uh-oh. Wow. Well, let's uh, we have a yeah. We're on generator. Let me go make sure the main studio is still recording, and then we'll just keep doing this in the dark. Oh, oh there we go. Okay. Oh, there we go. Um, I'll be right back. I just want to make sure nothing shut off over there. Okay. Is it working? Everything's fine. Oh, good. We'll all, we'll leave all this in. Yeah, no worries. Okay. <clears throat> um, just for you listeners out there, there's a horrible storm outside, <laughs> and uh, we just had our electricity shut off, and we were on generator for about 30 seconds, but it didn't stop anything important. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah, so do you want to end? Is that the is that as far as you want to get toward um, the music that school? That was early bands, and, um, you know, I, I played in um, other bands, too, you know, but... Um, I played in bands, but then I, in 19, which was would, would much later, I, I moved to Nashville, you know. You and, moved there for music yes. reasons? Okay. Yep. And, um, but I, I, I think I can, I think I can talk about that after, for the next song or okay, something. Okay, okay. You know? Well, let's get to your second song then. Why don't we listen to this one and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell this, I'll speak I about it. I love it. This is a Foggy Mountain Breakdown from the 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde. What's, uh, go, what's going on there? Where's that taking you? That, my hair is standing up, you know. Well, that recording, you know, that is actually a 1949 recording okay. of that song. Okay. And, and um, some bluegrass enthusiasts and, and people that are into that, that's the one that they like. That's the, that's the sort the definitive of the, the definitive one. one. Yes. And part of the reason is, is because... Um, well, it's it's still in the '40s, and and you know that's when bluegrass kind of happened, or it was it began, you know, with Bill Monroe. But there's a story that goes that see Earl Scruggs is the banjoist, and Lester Flat plays the guitar, and um, when Earl wrote this piece of music, you know, the the second chord that he is hitting on the banjo is an E minor. Uh, he plays the G. The song is in G, mm-hmm. and or, or it might be capoed, and it might not actually be in G. It might be in A flat. But I it, understand. He's playing yeah. the G position, you know, and and um, so he's playing the G chord, and then he goes to the E minor, you know, and you know, and he that's the chords that he said to uh, he told uh, Lester. This is the chord uh, G, and then E minor, and and Lester would always play it with an E major chord, right? Uh huh. And Earl sometimes would be really bothered by that. But when they were doing the record, he couldn't, you know, stop the recording and say, hey, you're, it's, it's E minor, not E major. Yeah, and they, yeah. He just let it go, you know, and thought, okay, that's that, you know. And so, see, that there's a tension in that recording because of those two chords I need to go back other. now and listen to that more closely too through that lens. You know what I mean? When, I, that when lens. I listen to the, the, this episode, I get to like do that. Yeah, and so that um, that minor sound and that major sound. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little academic here, but when they're played together, it's it's just it, it's it's some it's tension. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. And so I am. Again, this was well. This was in 1967. This was right around the time I got a guitar. You know, and there's a Westway movie theater in my neighborhood, and this film Bonnie and Clyde comes out, and so, you know, I don't know. They didn't. Things were different then, I guess. My parents let me and my brother go see this film, you know, on our own, and 
we went to the Westway, paid our 35 cents or 50 cents or whatever it was. It was one of the most Kairos days of my life. Now, Kairos means really special. It's okay. Greek. Like Kronos is like everyday stuff. Okay. Kairos is a special day or a right, festival yeah. day or, you okay. know, that kind of thing. I use that word to describe that day. Something like peak about it. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. And I... I'm, 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 well, I would have been um, 13 and I'm watching, I'm, I'm really loving the, the costumes from the thirties, you know, the clothes. I'm loving um, the, the, the cinematography, but then there's this, this like music. I, I, I've, I've never heard this, this music before, not in the house I grew up in, Mm -hmm. right? Remember it's Motown up top popular music and then the rock and roll. Uh-huh. I I'm watching this scene where the the police in these old model T's are chasing this uh, um these bank robbers in Texas. And there's this music that is like, "Oh my god, listen to the sound of that." I was like, I could not believe the sound of that music. And and then in combination with the images, you know, <clears throat> and so I this was before the days of VCR or you know you I went and saw that film 14 times wow and paid for it myself wow with my paper route money and I, I and my brother didn't go the other times I went all alone and just sat there and watched this film and listened to this music and and um it really struck me and then but you know it's really funny because I eventually did go out and buy a banjo mhm and but and I I never dove had had I never dove in all the way in bluegrass music though I like it I like bluegrass music and that kind of music I think what struck me more was the the sound of the music and the sound of the image and and the way that the, the combination worked of image and and sound and um so it, it but it 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 changed things for me that. It was like uh, your your dad's Chuck Berry moment. Yeah, it, yeah, huh. it was. It was that powerful to me, and um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I went and saw them play when they came in Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs when they came. Or actually, I saw the Earl Scruggs review, uh, which would have been with his sons um, at a community college in in Baltimore, and um, <clears throat> so that recording. In that in that film, it, it it changed things for me because I think I I I went deeper into music as a result of that because I thought, man, music is is really powerful. Meaning the music in that scene is 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 making that scene more, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought, wow, music has the power to 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 really affect people. And I started thinking about it in that way, you know. Do you that, still do you still play electric, or because now you seem like you're acoustic? Was that a place where you made that pivot, or did you continue on both? Like, when did acoustic then come in? Yeah, well, the electric guitar was the first one I got, and um, and then um, when Neil Young's, and this would have been a fourth song if it, if it was four songs, but Neil Young's record Harvest uh-huh. uh, came out in. Um, I, I think 70, maybe it might have been 71, but um, 
that's when I uh, started listening to more acoustic music. But that's the thing. The Earl Scruggs re- music in the Bonnie and Clyde film also got me interested in a different music that I've never heard before. Yeah, yeah. Which is mountain music, country music. You know, that that was really – the, the the recording that took me into country music, which hmm. eventually I I dove into into the deep end. Yeah, yeah. henceforth. <laughs> exactly. Do you uh, real quick aside? Do you know who David Mayfield is by chance? David Mayfield. I I don't. David Mayfield has a band called David Mayfield Parade. They played last night at the Sydney and Burn Davis Art Center. He was in that chair about 24 hours ago. He grew up with a family bluegrass band that traveled the country on Billman in Bill Monroe's old bus. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then he has has had band after band after band. He's in his mid 30s now and uh, he's turning, cool. he, he played used to uh, Used to open for like the Avid, or still does, like Avid Brothers, that yeah. sort of scene or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, you mentioned Bill Monroe. I was just like, oh, yeah, what a coincidence. David Mayfield. Yeah, David okay. Mayfield. Um, um, uh, you're on a tour. Yes. Uh, like, what's give us the idea of how much touring you do? What's yeah. the scope of it? How I mean, you know, I know you're here in Florida. Then you're, it looks like you're heading kind of up the coast. Let's talk about what you're doing now. Well, um, I. Um, it, oh, for the last, I guess it's been, let's see, yeah, about 15 years, I've been touring all over the country and Canada and, and, the, and the UK. Uh, I did it for 10 years with a duo called Jenny and Billy. And um, Jenny Hankins was from um, the coal fields of southwestern Virginia and an Appalachian singer. <clears throat> and... Um, I met her in uh, Baltimore at a studio that I, I used to have. And um, uh, we wrote a lot of songs together and, and we, you know, toured. Uh, and we were fortunate that some uh, people in the folk world uh, liked what we were doing. And they, you know, they kind of helped us out, you know, Psycon in particular, uh, folk singer. And um, we were able to, you know, sustain ourselves by by touring and making records. I think we did like seven records over those ten years. Hmm. And um, Jenny moved to the. She liked the UK so much she moved there. And so um, I am coming off of that, and I've been touring for the last two years uh, solo. I do have my partner Sue Griffiths, who who plays banjo. Um, she'll she'll play with me sometimes. Okay, and I love love that because she's a really good clawhammer banjoist. Cool. Uh, but um, so the the scope of it, uh, like um, last year uh, we did like four or five fairly lengthy tours, like five weeks or six weeks. Mm-hmm. We went to the UK. Um, we went uh, out west. Uh, work work. I've crossed the. I've driven across the United States about ten times wow. touring. Wow. And which is fantastic. Oh, it's great. I've done back and forth twice in my life. Okay. So I've got that in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've seen it and yeah. experienced it, you know, and uh, you know, seen the dust. Um, yeah. um well, um yeah, so uh, those tours um are, you know, that this one this year in Florida is 2 weeks. Sometimes it's it's a month, you know. I I'm I'm shortening the tours this year because I want to make a new record. 
And um, actually, in, in, by April, I'm I'm gonna I'm doing an, another tour in in the mid Atlantic uh, in March, but I'm I'm gonna be focusing on making a record uh, later in this year. But you know, I'm grateful for the the touring I'm able to do because I I really still do like to you know play music in front of people. Yeah, and and, and um, you know, music is um, it's it's different every day. Right, every, and and um. The songs are different. They, though they're the same, they're different. And, the, you know, so it's that um, um, the possibilities that can happen in yeah. live performance that I really look forward to. You've spent uh, many time, uh, much time in Toronto playing? I have played at a, play, at a series there called Acoustic Harvest. Okay. And um, they have been going strong for a long time. Uh, that, those are, that's the one venue that I can remember in Toronto. We had, about a year ago, we had a, a singer-songwriter from Toronto came through for an ACMA show. Named, oh. named Shauna Caspi. Okay. She did this show. Yeah. And then we have the people, we're going to ask you at the end to recommend people to uh, be future guests. Oh. And she recommended the guy named David Newland, who's from Coburg outside of Toronto, singer-songwriter. Okay. We did his episode remotely. And now we're trying to get uh, a guy named John Brooks. Have you come across John Brooks? You should, um, you should look up John Brooks' uh, music. Okay. Now, he, we're working on details for him, so we're trying to establish a little Toronto outpost up there. Oh, nice. <laughs> so you can do your show, your three-story song we show can. remotely. We can. Yeah. If we set up all the moving parts, we've done three of them so far now with a remote guest. Nice. So we're trying to take over the world one song story at a time. <laughs> um, uh, off the path a little bit here, Like, um, are you into Broadway musicals at all? Are you into movie musicals at all? Is that genre of art um, entertaining do something for you? Yeah. Well, my parents uh, took uh, me and my brother and sister to um, – we saw um, West Side Story when I was young. And um, I, I, you know, I loved uh, the sound of music, the songs in that. Um, and um, – I of course love the music man. There, there, there are definitely musicals, and you know the that recent um, Les Misérables uh, with um, the actor from Australia. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Hugh Grant. No, no, no. no. I'm bad at this. Um. And that's okay. It was the one. It was the one where it was a musical. Well, it is a musical. Of right. course, it is. But um, um, uh, it was the most recent version gotcha. of it. Gotcha. And um, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to to hear Russell Crowe sing was so cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah. I mean, um, I I do like musicals. Uh, I um, I um, have thought about writing a a, a musical presentation of uh, um, a, a a person I wrote a song about named Benjamin Banneker when when I was over in England this past year uh have you ever heard of that show called um stomp it's it's a yeah. percussive ensemble yeah, it's like a percussive dance combo thing yeah and it's a national or international touring company right i know one of the persons oh, who, one of the stompers yeah one of the stompers <laughs> um and um 
he, when he heard this song this past year, he said, you should really write a, a, a stage production of this man's cool, life. Cool. And, and so, you know, it, it's something, yeah, I, I am interested in it. Okay. But it, I, I, I mean, here's the thing. I really think it, it's really good to be diverse and have your hands in doing a lot of things. But in order, I think, to do it really well, you have to be in it. You know, mm-hmm. like um, the guy from the Black Crows, um, the guy from Ohio. Uh, well, they're both from Ohio, but um, I, I can't think of his name right now. I can't either. But he's, you know, he is either in touring mode or in producing mode. And right. he, he can't do Don't both at the same him. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think in order to, like, write a, a something that for the stage, you'd have to be in it for, like, a year at least. Or, right. You know what I, I mean? I totally do know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that Beatles show in Baltimore your peak concert sp- experience, or have you had something that topped that since? Well, um, you know, I, it, it, first thought, best thought, that's what Allen Ginsberg said, Yeah, right? that's what we're here to try to get. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I, I had two thoughts, but the first one was I went in 1984. I'm living in Nashville, and um, – I, I am a touring musician with other country music artists at that time. But I was in town, and there was a guy named Bruce Springsteen uh-huh. that was going to be playing in Birmingham, Alabama. And I, I bought my t- – I, I couldn't find anybody to go with me. Huh. And I drove down there by myself. Uh, I bought a ticket at late in the game, and I was in the nosebleed seats in the very back of the arena – and um, this was his Born in the USA tour. Hmm. Uh, and um, I'd never seen Bruce Springsteen. And when he did the song Born to Run, there was there was uncontrollable tear, tears coming out of me. And um, it was because I, I really felt like everyone in that arena at, at that moment were completely transported, completely, like – we were all together in this space, and I've never experienced that before. Hmm. Not like that. Ever anything close since? Well, the, the second thought I had was, <laughs> I, I, you know, growing up in Baltimore, one of the nice perks was that Washington D.C. was really close, yeah. thirty-five miles away, and we have the Smithsonian there, and they uh, would have concerts uh, there at the Smithsonian. And there was an Appalachian singer named Hazel Dickens who was from West Virginia. And um, I got to see her uh, perform there a couple of times. And to see Hazel was – it was a different experience than Bruce Springsteen because he's in a big arena, you know, and Hazel is playing in a small theater, you know, for not many – you know, 100 people or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, but – to hear her sing her songs, um, these songs were were her were about her life, you know. And to hear her story was was um, heart wrenching. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and, and and she as a performer, she put so much of herself in the song and the and the emotion of it. You 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 almost you 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 were like you know like like rooting her on to just get through the song mm. because it looked like she was just going to lose it almost sometimes when she was performing a song and um i you know i i really liked uh that that that, that was a you know 
Rye Cooter calls that chicken skin or goosebumps, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, And, you know, that – she was one of those singers that could do that. Did you know her me. music before you saw her or were you just seeing her music for the first time? I did know her music. Okay. Yeah, okay. because, well, she – Baltimore uh, had a, a, a pretty strong um, folk and bluegrass uh, and country scene. And she moved to – when she left West Virginia um, to find work, that's why she left. And she, she, she came to Baltimore. And, um, and then there was this guy named Mike Seeger of the Seegers, Pete Seeger and mm-hmm. you know, Peggy. And um, he uh, – uh, came to Baltimore and discovered her. Um, I think he was living in Washington then. Hmm. And um, so I knew of her and I knew of her music and I loved her her, her songs. Hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you would sing for us and or with us? Oh, well, uh, I, 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 yeah. Let's see. I can do... Um I think the conducting skills are almost like the best part of this right now for me. I know people Thank you. This and I have to just add this visual because it's yes. just fabulous. Oh, yeah. I couldn't do it without that. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it home. All right. <laughs> You're the first one that did it acoustically uh, a cappella. <laughs> Uh, yesterday we sang the uh, what was it? Uh, we did two yesterday. One was the Three's Company theme song. Oh, and the other one was the Munsters. Oh, or man. Adam's Family. Oh, both great. Hey, you reminded me of a story. You know the uh, Carl? No, uh, what's his name? Um, not what's Carl Reiner's son's name? Um, um, uh, it, it's um. Um, he was meat, Meathead. He was yeah, Meathead. meathead yeah. Rob <laughs> Reiner. Thank you, Tara. I, you, I was like, that's I who was, you. I was speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Meathead. It's, it's Rob Meathead. Reiner. I saw Rob Reiner. He was getting some kind of a lifetime achievement award uh-huh. for one of the, you know, in Hollywood, you know, and, and but it was a small one. It, I mean, it was not a, it wasn't the uh, Oscars or anything, you know, and 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 he he came out, you know, to accept the award. And he walks up and he goes, come and listen to my story about a man named Jed, a poor man. And he sang the entire Beverly Hillbillies theme and then said, thank you. And, and walked, then walked off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I yeah. have to find that. There's got to be video of oh, that there's probably gotta, It's got to be. Yeah. Um, um, okay. We're almost time for your third song. But first, uh, karaoke? Yes? No? Have I done it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I played in a rock and roll band in the early 90s called Tommy Conwell and the Young Rumblers in Philadelphia. They, and we we were on uh, Columbia Records and toured and opened up for all kinds of people. But um, – and toured uh, – we did we headlined things too. But um, Tommy uh, loved when we were on the road to find a karaoke – 
and you know go in and sing you know um, a Bob Seger song or you know something like that. And um, I think I I, uh, I I did it one night with Tommy. Yeah, that was the only time I've ever done karaoke, and uh, it was uh, it was. Um, it was fun. I had fun doing it, actually. I, I think that would be actually a neat thing to have, like, you know, really great singers who are kind of, you know, well-known do karaoke and then, you know, video that or, or yeah, like, see them. Well, it's kind of, kind of like Dancing with the Stars, except karaoke with the yeah, stars or right. something like that. Karaoke with the stars. There yeah, you go. No, let's, make, let's, let's make a million dollars off that. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, time for song three. Okay. We can jump back to where we were. Yeah. Um, I'll speak a little bit more before this sure, one. Sure, um, So um, <clears throat> after I um, – well, what happened was I, I played – the band that uh, I really got serious in was called the Paradise Pickers. And they were like a, a, a roots rock and country kind of band in Baltimore. We were together for five years from 72 to 82. I'm sorry, 77 to 82. 1977. And uh, it was, uh, you know, we, we toured up and down the East Coast uh, from v- Virginia or North Carolina up to Maine, you know, basically stayed in that area. We, we got out west a little bit, but not, uh, you know, like Green Bay. But uh, but um, that band uh, was pretty successful in, 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 in that in that uh, time playing and and we did one record and but we had done uh, a trip to nashville because we were in one of these battle of the band things and we won for the state of maryland and we played at the tennessee performing arts center and that was when i i first you know experienced nash well it wasn't when i first experienced nashville but it really had an impact on me because i had gone there first in 1976 but um and so um that got me thinking. Wow, Nashville! It's a. It's this. I. I think I could. I could enjoy coming here and spending some time. So I moved to Nashville in 1982, and I have been playing, you know, roots music with this band and a lot of country music too. And I was deep into country music at this time, and I. So I've moved to Nashville, and I want to learn more about songwriting and country music. And um, so. Uh, I, I I took a job with as a guitarist uh, with a country music singer named Tommy Overstreet, but um, it would have been uh, let's see. I toured with him for a year, and then I took a job with an artist named Terry Gibbs, who had a a, a big hit in 1982 called "Somebody's Knocking," um, and I toured with her for four years, and I was her band leader. And and then my I, I lived in Nashville between 1982 and 88, and then my mom got ill and I came back to Baltimore. But I'd played the Grand Ole Opry uh, with an artist named Jeannie Pruitt the last year I was there. And in 1987, um, I took a trip with a, a friend of mine uh, down to New Orleans. We were going to uh, Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. And we drove from Nashville over to Memphis, and then we took Highway 61, mm-hmm. you know, down yeah, to, yeah. To, to New Orleans. And but what, what we, we pulled into this town called Oxford, Mississippi, and there was a catfish house outside, just outside of town, and we stopped in to have some dinner. And we're having our dinner, and while we were having – the place was empty. It was probably middle of the week, you know. And um, uh, while we were having dinner, this, this trio of guys – came in and sat down at the other end of the uh, restaurant and 
they they're having their meal and we finished ours and I said Jeff I'll I'll go over and ask them maybe they can recommend a place to stay you know and we went over there and um uh, you know I, I I said we're traveling from Nashville um do you have a place you can recommend that we could stay for the night and they they said a couple of places and then they said you you have time to sit down and, and have some conversation with us and I said yeah well thank you so we sit down and. It turns out that um, one of those persons uh, was William Faulkner's nephew. Okay. The other one was a guy who ran the art theater there in um, in uh, Oxford. The Hoka was the name of the theater, and then the other guy is a is a writer named Willie Morris. Okay. And Willie Morris uh, was from Yazoo City, Mississippi. And he had gone to the University of uh, Texas at Austin. And then he was a Rhodes Scholar and went to Oxford, England, uh, and came back. And um, he was actually the editor of Harper's Magazine okay. in the 60s. Huh. And I think he he published one of the first anti-Vietnam War pieces that Norman Mailer had written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point, he... I think I don't re- remember exactly why, but he had to, he left the New Yorker and went back to eventually went back to Mississippi. But he he, um, he really he uh, it, this was another Kairos moment for me when we we were uh, introducing each other to uh, our, in our conversation introducing. Uh, he said to me, uh, "What university did you go to, Billy?" And I hadn't. I said, well, I, I, I haven't gone to university. Um, and um, he said, well, you've, you're, you're, you're playing on the Grand Ole Opry, and that's, that's good enough for me, you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But it, he, he was a man who, right from that, right in that moment, you know, he, he was a person who said to me, he expects people to teach themselves and learn, do some higher learning or whatever. And so I said right at that moment, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that one day when I have time. <laughs> and la- later on, I did. I, I, I went back to music. I, I went to music school in, in my uh, mid to late 30s. Yeah, I was doing the math. I was going to say yeah. that was not right out of high school for no, sure. No, it was not. Yeah. And, uh, that's, and, and he was the reason. And this can help lead into this third uh, track we're going to listen to because this, the, I, I was in West Baltimore and uh, there was a, a university there, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And, you know, I just I, – I signed up for some courses uh, and music stuff. And um, I, I ended up really liking these – the people in this department, though it was, it was nothing. It was it, – this school uh, and to this day, it, its focus is on what some people call new music – and it's it's like well it was 20th century music mm-hmm. then um and um it's it's where um um you know it's the extension of of classical music sure. and romantic you know and now it's 20th century music right. and and it's written by serious composers i mean that's the one of the words they use about these kind of composers and um Gosh, um, I I was introduced to so much new, literally new music, and I, I I enjoyed some of it. One composer in particular that I really liked was uh, a guy from Poland named Hen Henry Gorecki, 
and um, he um, he is one of the uh, the twentieth century uh, new music composers that can say he he um, he had a hit because one of his songs was recorded by one of his pieces of music was recorded by a singer named Don Upshaw, who's a classical singer. And it was recorded, I think, with the London Symphony Orchestra, and it it it, it broke into the top ten of popular wow. music in 1992. Wow! Um, and it's from a, um, a symphony of his called, uh, I think it's it's his third symphony, the uh, so, the Sorrow Symphony. I think. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering it right now. That's okay. But anyway. I would have, I might not have ever heard this music, and I'm so glad I did. And 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 of course, I learned going to music school where my goosebumps came from over the years. There are certain things in music that can trigger that. That and and um, you know you don't have to know them to experience it. Right. You know. Yeah. And um, like when I saw Springsteen, like yeah. when I saw Hazel or when I saw the Beatles, you know, y- y- but but there are things in music that that uh, can can do that. And um, I, I can, you know, here's the here's here's the little story that I, I tell sometimes. I also wanted to go to music school. So because I was also starting to get into producing and. Sometimes I would be in a recording session where I'm dealing with people who know how to read music, but then those that don't know how to read music. So here's an example. Um, we're, I'm talking to both of those worlds, and I'm going to say to the people who uh, know how to read music, so listen, on, on bar number 48, uh, we want to have uh, the third beat uh, pushed, or, or we want to we uh, anticipate that with some syncopation. And and let's make it a triplet sixteenth note. That's what we want to do. That's what you say to them. Mm-hmm. And then over here, you say, um, you know, you know that part after the chorus where it goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, right before that, though, we we want to do this thing where we go, deba, uh-huh. and that's how you t- that's yeah, how you yeah. explain it to them. And and they're though the same they're saying the same thing uh-huh, uh-huh. you know yeah yeah and so I was glad to to be able to learn that language so I could speak to those those people with right. language that they understood sure yeah yeah you know and so this piece of music is is when you go when you go to music school and the, I think most m- music schools require you to take music theory and uh, the school I went to we we went through. Um, I think six semesters of theory, you know, and um, or no, no, it, it was the whole time. It was every, all four years, and you end up in theory five. That's what it is. That's the final one, and um, my final exam was was having to play this piece of music we're about to hear, and you have to um, um, imagine this: this piece of music we're going to listen to is one page of music and it's about seven stab staves of music and it's very short and it took me all semester to learn how to play this because of the um um polyrhythms i'll call it you know 
and it's it's very complex music. And when I first started to learn this piece, I was like, I hate this. Mm. Why would someone write something so hard to play? And it doesn't even feel good. It's like, ugh, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not even music. No redeeming qualities. Nothing. I don't, yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, about by the middle of the semester, I'm I'm starting to, you know, be able to, to sort of play it, but I'm still... Struggling, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Okay, well, may- maybe there's something to it. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not getting goosebumps from this. You know, but um, and then almost towards the end of the semester, I'm like, I'm, I'm actually feeling the pulse, and the, though it's so complex and so, um, well, some people would say that music sounds like like a baby had crawled on the piano do you know what i mean <laughs> i do there, yeah. there's it's like there's, it's it's atonal it's a rhythmic there's no you know but there is when you and when you go deep into that uh-huh. world but it and uh so that's why i thought i'd pick this piece because it spoke about this other side of music that i love it that, yeah um you know uh i went into is this you playing it or is oh this, no oh no no um <laughs> this is called uh the piece of music is called Klaverstück 3 and it's by a composer named Karl Heinz Stockhausen and I believe the performer his name is David Tudor who was one of the um premier Stockhausen um uh, uh disciples or he loved Stockhausen's music and he 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 plays his music and um so this is Klaverstruck three, and this is the shortest of his piano pieces from this collection of piano pieces that he wrote. All right, shall we? Sure. All right, Tara, <laughs> bring it on. How complicated are the instructions? You know what I mean? Like in that your left hand when you were talking about how you would describe it to somebody with music theory and somebody, how complicated is the music? when it's written out yeah. to describe with precision how to yeah. do that. Okay. Um, polyrhythms um, kind of means playing two rhythms that are different but against each other, you know. Um, so, like, we can do it right now. Um, so if you could go da, 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 da. Can you do that? Okay, and I'm gonna go da 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 da. So I'm doing three beats against two, like da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hear that? Okay, and that's called three against two, right? And so that's an example of a polyrhythm. Well, in Karl Heinz Stockhausen's Klaverstück three. He has polyrhythms that are um, um, they they're that I was describing three against two. He he had some that were like seven against eight, meaning you're going one two three four five six seven eight. But you're but you're 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 um, counting seven yeah against that eight right yeah and then he wants you to play. Uh, within that seven beats against the eight, he wants you to do um, um, three against two on beats 
four and five of the seven. Hmm. It's triple polyrhythms, in other words. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I can picture what you're saying it's, here. And you, you know, it's like, oh, it's, you've got to go so slow to learn this. Because it's not like anything else you're doing that you have muscle memory for. Nothing. So you, muscle memory. Yeah, Good. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And 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 also, it's just you know, it's it it it's it's um it's it doesn't feel um like like when we walk, there's a rhythm, a a, a basic rhythm. When we breathe, there's a, there's this internal rhythm that we have. But this is not doesn't connect to that to me. I mean, at least I say that because. I'm not in that world. I'm sure people that are in that world and this is all they do, it, it, it probably is. They might and walk that way. They might walk. <laughs> they, Seriously. Hey, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, Mike. Um, if you sat down at a piano right now, how, how close could you get to that? You mean to play it? Yeah. Just to read it and play it? Yeah. Or I, even just maybe if it's by memory somewhere in there to some slow degree. I, I let's okay. I I couldn't do it, and 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 also when I like um, performers who read music and you know play uh, uh, written music, they a lot of times will make little notes on in the score, you know, to help them. Yeah, you know, and um, I had. I had subdivided. I had lines to show me how the 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 polyrhythms worked on the page of music uh-huh. in order to even do it. You know, you had a heavily marked up piece. Heavily of music. marked up. Yeah, right. there's more marks than there are notes written. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I I couldn't do that. I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't I I I haven't been reading polyrhythms in a long time, so it would be difficult for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we are coming up toward the end of our podcast oh, here, so we're wow. going to ask you some uh, some um, um, quick fire questions. Okay. Um, if you can learn any new instrument instantly without having to try, which would you pick? Oh wow! Um, well, you know what? I love the trombone. Okay. Because because of the slide, uh-huh. you know, because there are all these notes. In between, you know, we quarter tones or microtonal, you know, it's like slide guitar. Yeah, exactly. Sort of, you yeah. know, and and so, and I love the trombone. Cool. And uh, I've never owned one, never never played one, but I I like the sound of the trombone, and I and it would be fun, I think, to be able to play one. My daughter is a musical theater kid, and she's a singer primarily, and dancer and performer. But all through middle school, she played the trombone, and she learned to read music. All right. So she's not going to grow up and be a trombonist. Yeah. But you know, I just felt like that was such a, and she picked that her because the she? teacher yeah. was a trombonist, so she picked that strategically. Oh, that yeah, was see? smart. That's smart for a sixth grader, I'll I say. Um, uh, favorite band of all time? Of all time? Yeah. The band. The band. The band, the band. The band, the band. Okay. I, I, I've been talking about them lately uh, because uh, Robbie Robertson of the band, there's a new documentary out uh, about the band, and... Um, uh, um, it's um, something about brothers. I can't remember the title right now. But the band were, were hugely influential to me because they they brought in all these elements. They brought in the soul or the 
the blues, yeah. the, the the country, the Appalachian. They 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 and they're they. Some people say they're one of the first Americana. Yeah, I can see that bands. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. Um, uh, you, what was your fourth song you said earlier? You mentioned if oh. you had a, if you had a fourth song, what was it going to be? Oh oh gosh, what it was. Uh, um, was it Hazel? But no, it wasn't Hazel. Was it um, Springsteen? No. No. Oh gosh. Well, it's it's in on well, it's, it's, you, it's on it's, it's on record. Yeah, yeah, we'll just just back up. Um, this, there's probably people listening that are going, "It's this, I remember." Tara, <laughs> Sue, either one of you? No, they're in no. there chatting away. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, best album of all time. Oh my gosh. Or favorite album, or yeah. maybe album you've spent the most time listening to. Oh wow. Or if those are maybe not the same thing, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, um, you know what? The, again, the first thought, um, there's a record by Willie Nelson called The Red-Headed Stranger. Okay. Do you know that record? I don't. It won a Grammy, and it was the first record of Willie's that he produced himself. Oh. And it's it's sparse. It's very sparse. And um, it 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 is a... It is a conceptual record. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And so um, I I liked that. It felt more like a novel, like the record. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Instead I of do, just a collection uh, of songs. Understood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I get to see Willie uh, in 19 days. Oh, he's for he's the coming, festival. No, the, he's coming here to oh, Fort Myers to oh. our Tico Arena. I've never seen him. And I figured I saw the tickets come through and I was like, Oh, you're going to like him. I'm going to go see him. I've got good seats, too. Good. Uh, 14-year-old self, what would he think of who you are and where you are and what you've done since then? Wow. Wow, at 14. See, I, I – um, if, if my 14-year-old self was looking at me, I'd probably go, um, wow, that guy's a musician. I, I hope I can do that one day. <laughs> I like that answer. Um, can you recommend three people, and they don't have to be local, so they can just be anybody, who mm-hmm. you think that you'll both share this podcast with and that we should try to get on the show? Oh, wow. Okay, the first name that came to mind is a, a fiddler. Um, his name is Craig Eastman, and Craig lives in Los Angeles, and he um, is from New England. It was the New England fiddle champion. Uh, but he has he's gone on to do f- film work. He's done a lot of film work uh, in, in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And um, he is also, uh, you know, he 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 plays with um, Steve Martin. Wow. You know, he played with Steve Martin yeah, for yeah. a number of years and John McEwen of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Um, and he's just he's brilliant. If you remember those films, the Pirate of the Caribbean's uh-huh. or Pirate of the Caribbean, some of those um, like um, pub scenes where there's music and there's fiddle music, that was Craig. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, he um, he's just a brilliant musician. One of my favorite musicians I know. Okay, and um, that sounds great. Okay, and there's probably a studio in L.A. We can get him in. Oh, he has his own. Well, that'll even make it easier. <laughs> uh, yeah, Craig Eastman. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, let's see. Um, I was thinking of, um, uh, let's see. There, you know, there's, there's been, um, there's, a, there's a fella. You, I think you'd have fun with this, with this fella. His name is Tom Mason. And Tom lives in Nashville. 
and I, it's a funny story. I met Tom in England, but we both lived in the same town. Okay. In Nashville, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he is, um, he's a writer and then a performer and a really good musician. And he does a pirate themed uh, thing called Tom Mason and the Blue Buccaneers. Okay. <laughs> and I, I really like Tom. Okay. He's a great person. And um, yeah. And um, let's see. Um, the third one has to have some pirate theme to it. No, I'm kidding. No, no. Oh, gosh. Boy, that would <laughs> You're be... You're two for two. Uh, that would be, yeah. Um, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, when I... I'll, I'll mention this. Um, when I produced, um, I worked with an artist named Debbie Smith, and that's spelled D-E-B-I, <laughs> Smith. And she is in a band called the Four Bitchin' Babes, if you've ever heard of them. I have uh, not, but it sounds like fun. Christine Lavin is, is one of the founding members, but they are f- hilarious. And, and they, I mean, they do all kinds of great music. And uh, Debbie lives in Washington, D.C., and um, she is a, just a fantastic singer. And um, the the record I did with her, um, it was so great. And we got had Doc Doc Watson was on the record, oh, wow. yeah, before he had passed. Uh-huh. And because Debbie used to, um, um, she was, um, I think she was uh, a girlfriend and boyfriend with Merle Watson, Doc's son, who tragically died in a mm. tractor accident. But anyway, um, she's just a, one of the great singers that I've worked with, and so. So uh, Craig is the musician. Tom is the uh, he's the triple threat. Okay, <laughs> and then Debbie is just this fantastic singer. I love it. Sounds good. Share this with them and uh, tell them that we would love to have them. I will. I'm going to tell them because it's a. I love your your show. It's it's. I mean, to get people to speak about and and tell story th- through song is is brilliant. We um, you know, when we started doing it, it was like. Like, we don't even really have to prepare a script practically, you know? It's just like to be able to do, it's just like there's something about the lens of music that just turns it into a conversation that's just becomes revealing and fun. I don't know. We just, we're having a ball doing it. Good. Well, continued success. Um, uh, Last question before you play your parting tune that we'll rig up here in a second is, um, are there any songs that if they come up, like you're driving down the road and they come on the radio, you'll just be like, ah, move it just because I will not listen to that song again because I don't like it. Uh, or it brings back a memory I don't want to have to deal with. Oh wow, etc. Um, well, I'm I'm having to think about that one. Nothing's popping out quickly. Um, 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 I'm having trouble with this question. Hey, you can say none. You can say none. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of. No, I I, I have an answer. Sue and I, you know, we uh, are self, you know, we're self-employed. And so we watch, we, we, we can wake up in, in the morning and then watch a little television sometimes in the morning for news or whatever. And there have been some commercials that I just say to Sue, can you mute that, please? There was this one for one of the car companies. Um, and it was, it was a new agey feel life. Breathe, you know it was, it, and, and, and there's, you know, it's a commercial yeah, for the car, for a sleek car. Yeah, yeah, but there's music with it too, and it's it's the music and the and the voice became irritating to me. 
That'll work. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well then, uh, go ahead and get your guitar out. Start tuning up. All right. uh, Tara's going to come in here and set up the camera. Wow. I'll go in there and we'll engineer it that way. Uh, hey, Richard, sorry you couldn't make it today. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just for our listeners, tell them about what that guitar is, because this will be the very end. This um, little guitar with the big sound, as I, I say, is a, um, a Martin... Um, parlor guitar it's called a 217 or 2-17 and um, it's made out of all mahogany wood so the top and the sides and the back are, are all mahogany and this one was made in 1930 so it's a depression era era guitar and um, it's it's very um, nondescript there's no um, adornments on this guitar because when Martin was selling these in 1930, people were having trouble, you know, with money and buying guitars. So they, they, they made this one to, to make it affordable for people to, to make music with. And I, I like that about the guitar. Um, and um, it's, uh, I name my guitars. And since it's made out of all mahogany wood, I first was calling him uh, Mo Mahogany, you know. And, um, and, and, and I, I down-tuned my guitar a whole step because I use medium uh, gauge strings on it. And someone suggested I down-tune it a little bit, you know, because of those strings, because it's a small body and the tension of the strings might be too much for it. So his full name is Lomo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, no worries. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer and sometimes host. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes hosts too. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to Billy. Is this called Falling in Love? It's a question song. Before tonight came along Love was just a tale I read I kept my feet on the ground And my hat firmly on my head But then tonight you kissed me And now I can't find the floor I don't know where I'm falling But I want to fall some more Tonight my whole world turned upside down The walls are spinning round and round The ceiling is below and the floor above 
Is this called falling in love? I've fallen down a flight of stairs from my uncle's maple tree, but I've never fallen half as far as when you're holding me until tonight. I obeyed all the laws of gravity, but you've showed me how to steal a heart and made an outlaw out of me tonight. Down the walls are spinning round and round. The ceiling is below and the floor above. Is this called falling in love? Keep listening. What about the police? What about them? You heard them? No, but I've seen them. What, in concert? No, behind you. What? Next time on Three Song Stories. So we had some farm animals, and so I would, you know, maybe be out at the barn with the horses, and I'd have my footloose soundtrack going out there, and I'd be shoveling the manure to, you know... Footloose, footloose. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody could see me.